so much. You know, it's scary to come up here. Even though you've been in this program for a while, it's still... Uh, I don't know if you ever get used to it, but the kind of welcome I get helps. And I want to thank God for you people. Okay. I thank God for uh, for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm just glad to be here. My name is Rose, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm, you know, I really enjoy myself here today and yesterday and ever since I got here. I haven't had time to think about home. And that's the, I guess those are the spiritual, the spiritual life that we lead in Alcoholics Anonymous. I come to an AA meeting and I feel at home. And this is so wonderful. Like I came here Indian time yesterday. I guess just to continue to identify myself. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, there were reasons why I couldn't make it. But all this time, getting ready on Friday, I was supposed to leave Friday, but things kept happening and I didn't get out. I kept praying. I said, God, it's your will. If you want me over there, you'll get me over there. If it's not my place to be, you won't let me be there. So I guess the higher power's choice is that I got here. I had um, I had been in the hospital for two weeks. This is my third day out of the hospital. I uh, got careless with my health and uh, got sick. Anyhow, I uh, just uh, a week before, while I was in the hospital, I was getting calls. I have a group uh, of seniors. Uh, we call it the Elder Health Program. And it's uh, out of the University of Lethbridge. Our program is under there. They called me and they said, we're going to the White House next week. And they said, your ticket is all ready. Our rooms are all looked after. You will get spending money. It sounded really good. And for a while I thought, oh, gee, that sounds good. To go see the president of the United States. Is that what you call him, president? Or what? <laughs> Anyhow, for a while it sounded really good. And then I guess while well, I started thinking, well, they got me a year ago to go to Kalispell. <laughs> I've had this call a long time ago. It, sounds, it seems like a year ago. And I thought they called me first, and maybe that's the way I'm going to head. So I refused. I said, well, I'm not going to the White House, although it sounds good. I'm going to Kalispell. <laughs> So that's how um, I got to be here. I had poor tires, 
So on Friday, my son ran around and I got five new tires. Even my spare is new. <laughs> we had a real bad storm. Just uh, last week, a week ago, uh, over there, and the power was out everywhere. That's when I was still in the hospital. And I thought, oh, gee, how is the roads going to be over there? Here, when we got past Browning, there was no snow. And I thought, thank you, God. And I thought I would be here earlier than I thought, but there was a road construction there. And we had to stop here and there. Anyhow, I am very happy that God gave me a way to be here, to be with you, and to enjoy today. I woke up this morning really happy, and I thought, oh, gee, today is Sunday. That's when I sleep in. <laughs> but today I got a purpose to get up. And it's a real good purpose. Thank you, God. I jumped up and got ready to come up. So I started out good today and I I have to keep keep on the day the same way I got up. And that's what DAA program has taught me how to live, how to get along, how to do things, and it's really beautiful. And after hearing all the speakers, you helped me. And that's the other one I thought, well, if I go to Kelsbell, I may be able to help one or two people, but I know many of them will help me a lot more than I can. So I already got my help, and I want to thank all these people, especially Tom. <laughs> He has been very instrumental in, you know, uh, having supper with him, and that was beautiful. You know, I, I need that, because so often in this world, there is a lot of temptations, and we have to watch out for them. I have to watch out for those temptations. I tend to start feeling sorry for my, you know, the negative things, start feeling sorry for myself. Oh, I'm here amongst all these people. Where is my Indian friend? <laughs> that was my biggest problem when I first came to AA. Because I was the only Indian at every place in Edmonton when I sobered up. There was very few. I see the odd uh, native person. And what I do is I go and try to be friends with that native person. So I can have a friend. Never thinking these other people are my friends. I never thought that. Anyhow, uh, I lived on the Blood Reserve for many years. That's where I was raised up. And uh, just to share a little bit about things that happened to me. Like, uh, my mother died when I was eight years old. But I was put in a residential school before, in a Catholic school. And uh, at that residential school, soon, the minute I entered that residential school, that's when all the negative things started happening to me. I learned to obey rules. I learned to uh, fear, to fear God. And I learned many other things. Uh, and we were raising each other like there was 80 girls in uh, in there. And we had one sister to look after us. And all those years that we lived there, we were raising each other all the same age. 
And how can you get something from all the other kids? They learn to put you in put downs and make fun of you and all that. And uh, some of the things that that happened to me were negative, like to feel to feel uh, ashamed of me, to feel ashamed of many things. Like when I was uh, uh, when somebody calls me, and my last name is Yellowfeet. When people tell me what's your name and I say Yellowfeet, they look at my feet. <laughs> I sure didn't like that, and it's, to me, it's a hurt, a hurt feeling to be laughed at. And uh, the other thing is, uh, when I was growing up and I was getting taller from all the other people, the girls at the school used to call me giant. They'd come and stand by me, look up at me, and they'd say, giant. So I wasn't Rose anymore. I was 91 and giant. My number was 91. <laughs> Sisters call me 91. The girls call me giant. And those were all negative things that I started living. I started hating. I started resenting. And I didn't like to be in that school. I ran away from school at the age of 15. I had uh, relatives in Montana. And uh, they were going to pick hops. And I decided to go pick hops. At the age of 15, I went to uh, Wenatchee, I think that's <laughs> Wenatchee, Washington. That's where they were picking hops. And there was a group of girls my age and younger. We were all there picking hops, and we used to go to shows. Then one evening, these older girls came, and they said, uh, Would you like to chip in for some wine? And uh, I thought about it, and the other little girl said, okay, let's chip in. We won't go to the show. We'll put our money in for wine. And they had a great big gallon of wine. We started home on a railroad track was a shortcut, and about halfway home, we all sat around on the tracks, and we started drinking. And oh, no, did I ever feel good. You know, I was on top of the world. I'm kind of a quiet person, never say much. But that night, I sure was talking and singing, and and I heard the girls saying, "Let's leave. These girls, these little ones, are getting drunk. Let's go." And I heard them, and I said, "I'm not, I'm not drunk. I want some more because it, it felt so good." And I said, "I can count the stars." I laid down, laid down, look up. I could see everything going around up there. And I could still count. I count to seven. <laughs> but uh, when I woke up, I was—I had my head on the rail, and there was the, one of the little girls had the, her head on my lap, and we were both passed out. And that was my first drink. Now, if I had known anything about alcoholism, I would have been careful, but I had no idea. Never heard about alcoholism. Anyhow, somehow I woke up and I woke her up and, and we sat up and she said, there's somebody moaning in the cornfield. So that was one of the other girls. Just as we went to look for this girl, the train came by. And I believe God has something to do with my life. 
I don't believe. I know he does. <laughs> but that was the first thing that happened to me. After that, I didn't drink very much. I went back home after I was 16, went back to the reserve. And like on the reserve, you follow the crowd. Uh, a girl can't be single. She's the most talked about person on the reserve if she's single. Everybody gets jealous of her. And, uh, you know, just a, a real put down. So you follow the crowd and you get a husband. I got mine. <laughs> no love, just because I needed a man. <laughs> That's when my first experience is about the drunk. My husband used to drink. I didn't drink with him. But he got really mean. He always beats me up when he drinks. And uh, to us, you cannot leave that man. He's yours and you have to be with him. So I stayed with him with black eyes. No matter what happened, I stayed with him. Then I had a good uh, uh, sister-in-law. She came along. She said, uh, Rose, you're bigger than your husband. Why don't you beat him up? <laughs> the thought came, and I thought, but he's stronger. <laughs> and uh, he said, she said, drink with him. Why don't you drink? You'll get brave. So I remember that last time I had a drink, but I thought maybe this one will be okay. So I drank, I started drinking with him, and uh, we really had a fight. And I had my children coming, and at the time, uh, I was so in, in a turmoil, uh, you know, so lost, that I didn't know, I didn't even know that these children were very important. My children really suffered, they didn't have a, a mother or father. It's just like, you know, looking after these children, and uh, somehow they were in the way uh, when I had to run away from my husband and hide, I had to bring all these kids with me. They seemed like a burden. But at the time, that's the only thing I know. And so I started drinking heavy, and and we drank. We went to, we go to Bab, Montana to drink. We passed Bab yesterday, and I was telling my boy and my son, uh, my daughter. I said, you see that little thing on top of the hill? It's a jail, and it's under the ground. I said, that's where we used to go to jail. I was telling my son. And my daughter said, yeah, I remember when we were in jail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those are the things. And I thought to myself, isn't it good to go past that jail today and not want to stop in bad Montana? Because that's how far I go when I come to the States. And uh, so anyhow, it's uh, uh, all this, all that life of drinking my husband with my husband my my children are the ones that suffered the most and i really didn't have any idea that i was hurting people all i had in me was people were hurting me it was the people hurting me that's all i could think about now after all this uh my husband got picked up he was suspended. You know, there was times I would think, I wish this guy would get out of the way so I can have fun. Go and drink by myself. Because I never have fun with him around. We're always fighting. 
Then one day when he was suspended from Montana for six months, oh, he was in jail for six months, and I was suspended from Montana for six months, I thought to myself, gee, now that I could have fun, I can't go to the States anymore. <laughs> so I, started, I learned about uh, Lethbridge and the skid row in Lethbridge. Um, the, the people on the street in Lethbridge, people laugh at them, talk about them, and I used to laugh at them, I used to walk and talk about them, but here was my, here was me, I was going down to join these people. I really didn't think I was going to, but now I was there. I went to Lethbridge and just for uh, a day and find myself that I didn't get home at times. I stayed down the street, and then finally the welfare came along and took my children. So my children were put in a home, because I had been put in jail. I was uh, sent to Fort Saskatchewan for uh, for being drunk on the street. That's what they said. So I spent time. I thought this would be the last time, but after that there was numerous ones. Sometimes I'd come out of jail one day, like I'd get out on Friday, and Monday, I'm back in Fort Saskatchewan. That became my life. I had no place on the reserve anymore. I lost my home, my children, everything. And I had just had my sister. That's where I used to go to. But she's always giving me lectures about my drinking, and I didn't like that. One time she came to me with, uh, from the Free Press Weekly, there was a little note on it, and it, oh, there was a little... Uh, a thing on it, and she, it said, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she said, why don't you go to these people? I laughed at her. I said, you go to them. <laughs> but I didn't, I had no idea what Alcoholics Anonymous was. Anyhow, after uh, three years of in and out of jail, I I started to get sick, really sick. The last year of my drinking was in Edmonton, and I, I didn't get picked up in Edmonton so much, and I drank freely, and, and my liver got bad. I had been in the hospital for yellow jointis, enlargement of the liver, different things they call it. But this time when I went in, I was really in a bad case of DTs, and uh, the doctor said, uh, oh, they, I heard them saying cirrhosis of the liver. And... Uh, uh, 50-50 chance of living or dying. I didn't, I wasn't scared. I wanted to die. I really wanted to die. I thought there was no purpose for me on earth anymore. I have no place to go. There was nothing for me left. So I started, uh, I just stayed there and I thought, well, I'd like to get out now. I'm feeling a lot better. And the doctor that I had, thank God for this doctor. These are all the spiritual experiences that I, I call, I found that this doctor that I had, he didn't want to let me go until I, I found out later on that until I went to talk to the AAP. He, I'd tell him, when am I going out? And he'd say, next week. So I finally had a new name for my doctor next week. <laughs> but I thank God for this doctor. He never, he said, why don't you talk to these people? And they're uh, from uh, alcohol. Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, we have our own Indian person that works here in the hospital, and he's from there, and he can talk to you. 
And I thought to myself, uh, nothing was positive in me. Everything was negative. And I thought, bullshit. <laughs> but then it came to the point where I know this doctor is not going to let me go until I speak to these people. So I said, okay, I'll talk to him. Eddie came. I went to see Eddie in an office, all dressed up nicely. Going, and I thought, how can this person help me? Maybe they want to find something. Something that I might have done and maybe send me back to jail. Anyhow, Eddie started talking and uh, I was so bored with him. I, those are the words that I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear what he was saying. He was talking about AA and I started counting the fixtures in that room. Uh, and then something I heard, he said, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had holes under my shoes, and I thought, she says, so be now, talking about my shoes, and I tried to hide my feet <laughs> under that chair, and I wanted to walk out, but I was glued to the chair. I couldn't get up. I couldn't walk up. Then he said, would you like to talk to a woman? And that was a good way out. I said, yes, I'll talk to a woman. One morning, this lady comes in. It was an early afternoon before visiting out. She comes in, and she... Uh, shook hands with me and she said her name was Vicky and I thought oh that's the first nurse that shook hands with me since I came in here and she said Eddie send me and I thought uh oh <laughs> it's those people again <laughs> so she sits there and was talking again and bored with her I didn't want her you know I come from a town that is quite prejudiced. When I was a little girl, I came out of school on a holiday. I went to Cardston and there was a sign there in great big white and black letters. It says, all whites only. I felt very inferior after that. I always think that the white people don't want us. So here was this white woman. I didn't mind the men because I had drank with them. But the women didn't like her. Anyhow, Vicky came and she started visiting me. She said, I'll come back. And I was, I thought that every time I'd go hide in a toilet until visiting hours is over. But somehow she always called me. Then I started liking her because I was doing crafts to get my cigarette money. And, uh, she started bringing me cigarettes, tobacco. And I thought, oh, she's good for something. I can have my smokes now. Then she started, I started, uh, listening. Because she was telling me her story. She wasn't telling me, you know, what to do. Because that's what I'm used to, people telling me what to do all my life, ever since I entered residential school. I wasn't used to that type of people talking about themselves. And I thought, gee, this is wonderful. And she said, I was looking at uh, uh, the, large, the biggest things that she was saying. She said, you could stay sober. Uh, do you have children? I told her all that, and she said, you can have your children back. You can find a job. You can do this. And, and I thought, I went to grade six. I never did finish my grade six. I ran away from school. And all I know is how to wash diapers and cook and that's clean house. That's all I know. So anyhow, uh, with Vicky's encouragement, I started thinking, maybe... Just maybe. It wasn't a big, you know, big thing. But on the other hand, I wanted to get out of the hospital. Finally, the day came when my doctor discharged me from the hospital, and I went out. And uh, they took me to the Friendship Center 
that was the first time they had friendship centers in Edmonton. And the guy at the friendship center said, I got a place for you. you you'll go, you're going to stay with some people. They need a babysitter. She doesn't need one right now, but, uh, she will, uh, she's expecting and you get used to the kids before she goes to the hospital. And I thought, oh, gee, what a big thing. I want to go drinking. I don't want to go babysit. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, they talked to me in such a nice way that, okay, I'll go. He took me home. He said, I'll take you home for supper and then I'll bring you over there. He took me home for supper and uh, his wife said, uh, his wife is a doctor, but she was there and he said two, two places and two glasses of wine. One, on, on, one glass of wine for me. I thought, gee, that's good. <laughs> but when we sat down to eat, Phil took that glass and he went and put it by himself. I thought, gee, he's stingy with his wine, you know. Never thinking he's trying to help me, but it was a negative thing. He's stingy with his wine. Oh, I'll get my own, never mind that. <laughs> but that was the start, and uh, the first year in AA was very hard. My sponsor's husband is one that will say, call a spade a spade. And uh, I kind of hated him. I didn't like him. <laughs> but uh, Vicky was different, you know. She talked nice to me, but this one was rough. I thank God for that guy now. One day, we just came from a meeting. They called me. They said, why don't you come home for coffee, and, and then we'll take you home. I went. Uh, I was babysitting at the time. So I went home with him, and we were sitting around, and here was uh, her husband talking, and he said, oh, these people, you know, I guess he wasn't even thinking about me. But maybe he was. I never know. I never asked him. <laughs> but he said, you know, these people that come from Skid Row, and I'm from Skid Row. I had been on Skid Row for three years. I didn't have a home. I didn't have anything. All I had was the clothes on my back. And he said, these people from Skid Row come to AA, they start looking nice, they started getting looking clean and healthy, and and then uh, even smell nice. And I was getting really angry by that time. He said, and they go back drinking. Why don't they stay down there and die from drinking or come to AA and stay sober? And I was really, you know, I was very mean at the time. I got mad at everything. So I thought, oh, the hell with the AA people. <laughs> That's what I said. And I went, got on a bus, went down the street, went to Skid Row, and I went and got drunk. Just for that. I thought, okay, I'll stay here and I'll die. Because I'm going to die anyway. I have cirrhosis of the liver. And uh, then I got really sick again. And who comes? The AA people found me, and they brought me home. And that was so, those are some kind of the spiritual experiences I have. Because I had said I wanted, I wanted to die. But then an AA member came and helped me to get back. And from that time on, I, it was a challenge. I thought I'm going to show that SOB. I can stay sober too. <laughs> that was my sponsor's husband. And, uh, <laughs> so, I went, I got, I had big book, I had pamphlets, 
I go home with pamphlets, they go in the garbage. With the thought, I don't know how to read. I don't know what they mean. They're nothing to me. That was my excuse. I had a poor education. So I take them and throw them in the garbage. But then this time, I went to the meeting. I got uh, the samples, took them home. I think I read them 10 times each. I wanted to learn. Now I want to learn. Because there were so many th good things happening. There was a guy that came into AA, and uh, he was at the hospital too. He's bad liver, and uh, a native guy from the street. And that one day I came to a meeting, and I was sitting by the door because I could get to the bathroom fast enough to throw up. Here they said we have a birthday. And here was this guy, Alphonse. He had a year's sobriety. And they gave him a cake. Oh, it looks so nice, you know. Oh, isn't that great? Gee, that's really beautiful. And I could kick myself and say, gee, if I had stayed sober, I would be getting a cake. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to really try my best. I wasn't going to try my best for me to stay sober. I was going to try my best so I can get a cake at the end of the year. <laughs> Anyhow, I, uh, I started learning. One of the greatest things I learned from there on is to learn about roles. I didn't know myself. I didn't know me. I didn't know how to how to look after me. If somebody came and told me, do this, do that, I know how to help, I know how to do for other people, but I don't know how to do things for myself. That is something I never learned. I think I did when I was younger, when my mother was still alive, but after that I had no kind of upbringing or anything of that sort to learn about Rose, who I am, what I can do for myself, what I can do, and in AA, they told me, you come to Alcoholics Anonymous for you and nobody else. And I came to AA for all the wrong reasons, to get a cake, to get my children back, and uh, so many other things, to get a job. That's what I was thinking. But here, I finally find out why I should come to AA, and that's for myself, to get to know me. At first, I thought, how boring. <laughs> but as time went on, I started learning. I always put myself down. I always put myself like on dirt under people's feet. I never thought of myself as somebody, a good person or all that. But I always thought of myself as a person down there. And when I heard that I was a human being and that I was important, that was really something. That is something that I had never learned. So from that time on, I started going into the thoughts of, okay, I got to look after myself. I got to know me, and uh, it's a hard, it's a hard one. When when I got to that point, I think uh, they call it in AA the rude awakening to <laughs> to learn about you. All the negative things I saw in people, thought about people, they were in me. And I thought I was okay, but they were there. That was me. And to change them, that's another job. I didn't think I could change them. Anyhow, I was in AA for a year, 
I finally got my cake, and I thought I was going to get drunk after that. But this thing has come, had grown on me, and it was so beautiful. I didn't want to get drunk after that year. The cake wasn't important anymore. But the important thing was me. To I was finding some serenity, not much, but a little bit. <laughs> finding happiness here, bad thing, you know, just like a roller coaster going up and down. Anyhow, I started uh, thinking, well, it's time that I get a job. And I thought, how can I get Well, I was doing babysitting from the start. And uh, that time they told me there was a halfway house going on in Edmonton. And that I might be able to, it was with the Attorney General's Department, and that I could fill in an application, I might just get that job. And I thought to myself, oh, well, I'll try. These AA people were so encouraging. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll try. Somebody gave me a, a form, and I just put it away. And then somebody else came and said, did you put in your application yet? I said, no. I lost the paper. <laughs> she said, I'm going to come with a paper, and I'll help you fill it out. Okay, come. <laughs> and when you look at all these things, your education, your qualifications, I was nil on that paper. So they told me, well, you've been sober a year, and and I've been going out to the jail. And uh, in, that, in that year, I found things really good. I was... Uh, I wanted to sober up the whole world. Everybody I met, go to AA, go to AA. I was preaching AA all the time. So anyhow, they said, oh, you, you'll be good over there. Uh, and then uh, one day we went to the States for uh, down, uh, uh, just, I forget the name of that little town down there. But anyhow, we went to uh, an AA meeting, one of the other girls uh, that was helping me. She got me out of uh, babysitting, and she got me into, she had a drapery session, uh, you know, drapery store. And she told me if I could sew, I went to sew for her for, for a while. And she said, Rosa, uh, we'll, uh, we're going to a roundup. And we went to the roundup. And I said, my, I never thought I would get the job. I came home, and my children were coming back. Social workers said that I would never get my children back. But here, all of a sudden, they said, we're going to bring them in June. Your children will be back in June. So I went to that uh, roundup, and I came back thinking, well, my children will be here now. And uh, when they, when I got home, they, and my children got there, and then there was a letter waiting for me there saying, Rose, you're to go to the Attorney General's Department. You got the job. So I went over there to the, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, I made it over there. And uh, he, this guy told me, he said, Rose, as of 9 o'clock this morning, you're on duty. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? And here I never thought, all those ladies that were lined up when we went for an interview, they were all so dressed up nicely, and they had their educations and everything. And I am picked. Well, okay. I know. <laughs> I know. 
the people that will be entering there are my kind of people. The people that I was going to the jail then by that time. Once a week we go to AA. My sponsor and I started an AA group at the jail. Anyhow, that's how things, you know, these are things. And I hadn't, uh, I told, I said, when I first came there, I said, I don't have any kind of training. They said they'll train you when you start. So they sent us all to Henwood and we got some training for a month. And, uh, and that was beautiful, you know. Now things were looking good. On the other hand, I had my children. Now what am I going to do? I got a job and I got my children. And that was a big problem. I thought, I'm not going to be able to handle this. So, but the AA people again were very helpful. We'll babysit for you. We'll look after the things that you need. And I had one, one of the guys in AA, he's like a, well, he, to me, he's my brother. And he says, I'll be there for the boys. And another lady was there for the girls to take them out and all that. So, you know, you can't ask for anything better than that. And I thought all these were impossible. But the people in AA really helped me. Just like the time when I was trying to get off pills. I had uh, been on pills for a while. That was before I got my children back. I was on tranquilizers. I put myself in Oliver rather than go to jail. And they put me on tranquilizers at night. Uh, those green and black pills. Oh, those were good for a while. <laughs> I used to take them and I could see a fire burning and I'd sit there and look at it, be amazed at the nice color of the fire. I wouldn't try to do anything. You know, that's what they did to me. Really relaxing. And, <laughs> and here when I got out and they found out uh, my, I had a girlfriend who was, who was on those pills too and she got off of them and she phoned me. She said, I'm going to throw my pills. My sponsor just left now. The pills we're on are no good. I'm going to throw mine in the toilet when I finish talking to you. I said, okay. I was so agreeable, I'll throw mine in too. I did. Towards the evening, I was starting to get sick, and I thought, I should have kept one. <laughs> and I thought, maybe I'll put the kids to sleep, and I'll go to the doctor. I didn't live far from the hospital. I'll go to the hospital and see if I can get one pill to sleep with. No sooner did I think that, and these guys came in, uh, and they said, we came to play crib. And they started playing crib right from there on to midnight, or somewhere around one o'clock. And I thought, gee, I want to go to the, and I wasn't going to tell them. I was ashamed to tell them I was going to the hospital. But we sat there, and I was playing crib. I didn't even enjoy it, but I was trying to, just to be with them. And then, just before they left, somebody else came, these two young guys in AA, and uh, they were newcomers like me, and they said, they had a bucket of chicken, and they said, we came to eat our chicken here. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I said, of all the places in Edmonton, <laughs> why here? Anyways, I let them eat their chicken. They stayed all night. The next morning, somebody else came. And that was the way, you know, they did with us that time. And I phoned my uh, my friend and I said, oh, these people's been here around the clock. He said, same here. <laughs> 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 uh, 
the people in AA have. I learned so much patience from you people. <laughs> you know. But it was wonderful. It was beautiful. Because I didn't know where I was going. And I needed that help. So anyhow, I got off the pills and to carry on. Uh, I, uh, when I really got into the, uh, the program, I got really active and tried to help others. And I was being told all these good things would be happening to me. And at first I didn't believe them, but now I was believing some of them. I got a jump. Uh, one of the blessings I first got, I really felt the spirit one time. I was coming home from work. It was uh, 45 below, and I had to get off. It was midnight I quit, and I had to get off at the bus stop. Now, there is a bus that comes, and I connect to that bus right at that time. Then when I got there, the bus that I connect to was just leaving. And I thought, gee, that guy knows I come here. He's leaving, you know. And I have to sit out there for half an hour. And I was kind of grumbling along, seeing the feeling kind of hurt. And so I saw the bench. I went to sit down there, and I thought, oh, they tell me in AA to count my blessings. Well, one of the blessings right now is I got a home to go to. I'm not going to walk home. The bus will come back. And all of a sudden, a warm feeling came from my back and on my legs. And it didn't seem like half an hour the bus came. And I felt, oh, God, you are here. It's you. You are here. Just prior to that, I was meeting with an AA friend. She was telling me all about these blessings that she got in AA. And I thought, this is one of them. And I... I got home, but anyhow, after that, that I really got into the program and just to learn about myself, to know the things I can do. Uh, and they say you must give the program away in order to keep it. I heard that, and I thought, okay, I'll try to help someone else. And from that time on, like in a halfway house, I uh, I started helping women, started helping the ladies, and. Soon there was no place in the halfway house for the girls from Skid Row. It was for mothers that were abused and had to leave their home. The, the place became for them. And uh, there was no place for these girls from Skid Row. And we got, there was an RCMP guy and uh, a lady from the YWCA. We all got together, and two of us from AA ladies. We all got together and we started a new halfway house for the Skid Row girls. And I got a job there too. I went and got a job there after that. And those are, are some of the blessings I got. You know, I didn't think there was anything for me in this world. But through AA, it was possible now. I was getting them. I had my ups and downs, like I said. Sometimes I wanted to go get drunk and other times I just wanted to say the hell with AA. But I kept going. And finally, I was, you know, getting up there. I started working on my 12 steps uh, to do. My inventory was very hard. That was the hardest one I had to do. When I did my fourth step, I had it written all on a sheet of paper. 
and I wasn't, I was putting all the negative stuff, but I wasn't putting my good points in there. And one time I went to the meeting, he said, uh, somebody said, we have to put our positive points too. So I went home, I didn't want to write them down, because I thought somebody might find it and they'll think I'm bragging. So I finally made an appointment to see uh, a worker. I didn't want to go to somebody in AA, but I went to a social worker, family service. They're the ones that helped me to get my children back. I went over there and made an appointment, and I guess he had done that before. So I said, I want to do my fifth step with you, and I went over there, and I had this sheet of paper, and here again I was scared, afraid, and when we sat down, the first day I went there, I went to the door, and I went back home. I phoned him. He said he had kept the day open for me. He didn't have any appointments. <laughs> so I called him. I said, can we make another date? He said, okay, no problem. So he, when I went over there this time, I brought my paper, and I gave it to him. Here it is. <laughs> he pushed it back to me. He said, I want to hear it from you. Oh, no. <laughs> And so finally I started. I cried. I did everything there. And once I got started, and he was so just listening, you know, he wasn't doing anything. I thought he would be talking to me or telling me things. He just sat there and listened. But after I finished, I came out of there. He said, this is not the words I've heard. I've heard many. And uh, he told me, that you, uh, you know, that I would feel better now, and how did I feel? I felt so good. When I went out of there, walked out of that his office, it was just like I had a shot of wine. <laughs> I felt so good without the wine. <laughs> but those are real good experiences, you know, to have. So I tried to work on my steps. They told me not to try to do it all at once, uh, but as time went on, keep one day at a time, and I did. But whenever I had a chance to do some of these things, I had them in my mind all the time. And I thought, I'm going to go to a meeting every day, twice on Sundays. And that's what I did. I just went to many meetings. And it sure helps to go to lots of meetings. Uh, you recover faster. I mean, you learn faster. I learned much faster about myself. I learned much faster how to live in this world, live around people. Uh, and when I, that first year, I, uh, maybe I didn't sober up because I just went to one meeting a week. But when I went to many meetings, I always hear people say, go to lots of meetings. And I did, and finally I fell away from my you know, it was just like a magnet to go back down the street with my old drinking buddies. And that's what I did the first year. But this time, I was learning to new friends. I was making new friends. I was meeting new people. For a year, I sat around AA. I never said anything. They called me up to say something, and I was scared and terrified. And I got up, and I'd say, my name is Rose. I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad to be here. Even if I'm not glad to be there, I'll say it anyway. And, uh, so finally one day I went to a meeting. It was a Sunday uh, breakfast meeting. And I was sitting way in the front row. And uh, 
They asked me to get up and talk, and I got up. When I looked back, way back there were four girls. They were from Fort Saskatchewan, the girls in jail. And I thought, it's like four crows up there. <laughs> you know, just kind of uh, really feeling good. That day I opened up. I really opened up. Talked about the way I talk at the jail. And and everybody, I thought, well, nobody will talk to me now that they know about me. Everybody came after the meeting and hugged me and shook hands with me. Oh, that was great, Rose. And I thought, how great is that? <laughs> but uh, that's how I grew up, grew in AA. I, uh, I found out I'm a good person. There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, I have to learn to live around people. I have to learn to accept people the way they are, which was a big task because there's many people I can't stand. <laughs> but now I have to learn to love them. And this guy at the at the club, his words are off color all the time. Nobody hangs around him. And uh it was uh Christmas. I thought well I'll have a good supper on Christmas for my family. I spent all my money for Christmas. But here was this guy, this, nobody ever goes. When I go to the club, he comes and sits by me, and we talk, and I learned to accept him for what he was. Then on New Year's Eve, he phones me, and he said, Rose, what are you doing for New Year's? I said, well, I'm going to a meeting, and I'll go bum a, a dinner somewhere. <laughs> and she said, call your friends. I'm going to bring some stuff over. And he was a taxi driver. So that New Year's, here was this guy nobody wanted, and he's telling me to call all my friends, and I did. So that evening he came on New Year's Eve. He had stacks and stacks of Chinese food, all different kind of food. And, oh, I was so... I couldn't believe it. But anyhow, we had a good New Year's dinner in Chinese food. He came with his wife and and all these uh, people that really had no place to go, my friend. We had a good dinner. And here I learned something again, to accept people the way they are. You can't change people. I always try to change people, but now I can't change people. I just have to love you the way you are. But I have to change me. I have to learn to change my attitude. My attitude, like I say, when I, I came to AI, I found out that I was always in the wrong. And that's something I had to straighten out. I had many experiences. Like, you know, I was talking about one of the spiritual experiences I had this morning. I call them spiritual ex experiences. My uh, sponsor's husband is one that never will say what he wants to say. And he talked about this. People coming from Skid Row, looking nice, looking smelling nice, and then they go back and get drunk. I, I believe that's a spiritual experience. And the night I was on the bus, uh, and I started to complain, but then I had to turn it to, uh, to positive thinking. And uh, that's what helped me, you know, to really, to really grow in AA. I had, uh, like I say, I was in grade six, and I never went from there, I got to the point where I thought to start thinking positive. There's people going back to school. There's people going to, you know, changing their attitude or their uh, education. 
I went to a program in community college to upgrade myself. I was taking, I finished grade 10, I was taking part of 11. And uh, I took a teacher aid course. I am a teacher aid. And when I was looking for a job, I was looking, all these people came from the reserve and university to hire from us that were taking the teacher aid course when we finished. And I was thinking I'll get a job in standoff on the reserve. But when I got a job, I got a job at the university to work with the native people. So I am a teacher aide for the university. I still do part-time now, and uh, that's why they wanted me to go to the White House with that group. But anyhow, these are the many blessings, you know. I never thought I could learn again, but I learned. I've got to be a teacher aide. Uh, I worked at halfway houses. I uh, worked with an uh, attorney general's department. Uh, like now, I still uh, uh, still run programs at the jail, but mostly the one I like is making, uh, you know, having AE at the jail. I never quit that. Ever since I sobered up, I've been with the jails, and I'm still with them today. Uh, those are the many wonderful things that I have learned uh, in the program, that life is worth it. It's really, my life is worth it. I, uh, I live one day at a time. I might have 30 years behind me, but still my day today is very important. Today is the most important day of my life. I can have my ups and downs. I can have my downs yet, but I have to learn to control myself so that I can, I don't have to go down today. When I start thinking negative, I'll think of positive things, count my blessings. So it's a real good life to be in AA. I have six children living. Four of my children are in AA. My daughter is with me over there. She has 16 years in. Elizabeth. And I have one boy that's staying sober on his own, and I've learned not to push. Oh, he's out there. He's out. He's in this hotel. <laughs> he drove for me. But he's been sober over a year. And <laughs> I got one son who is a sociable drinker. <laughs> he thinks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my life is not all perfect and rosy today. I still have, you know, those problems there. But I learned not to con try to control people like my children, to force them to go to AA, force them to do things. I just love them for what they are. They are human beings. And they see me and they follow me, and, and that is beautiful. Like a... Uh, I have a grandson. I raised him. When he was four months old, I got him. And I raised him. I'm having such a good time with this guy. I was in the hospital two weeks. He made it to school every day. He got up on his own, and he made it to school. Now, if I had known to be a mother when I was raising those other children, I wouldn't have 
that problem. But I thank God he gave me that gift so that I can experience it in this life so that he gives me knowledge that I can, you know, he's the one that's working through me. I believe what I'm doing is all God's work. It's all a miracle that I am here and alive. Again, I I get sick and I use the program. <coughs> like right now, I'm using the program. And my disease has something to do with eating. I'm eating less now. It's kind of hard because I'm a great eater. <laughs> But anyhow, I am really blessed through the program. I know God is with me. I'm not alone. You just have to ask him for help. He'll do it. You don't have to force yourself to do things. Just ask him for help. He'll do it. That's what I know. <coughs> Sometimes we go to a lot of effort. God help me this way. You tell God to do things for you. And then you take the reins and you do it again. You want to do it on your own again. It doesn't work. Let him do the work. It works. God bless you all.